Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show with Steve and Trish, sponsored by our friends at Paychex. Today, we're going a little bit of a different direction. We are going to bring back one of our guests uh, who was just with us a few weeks ago, but this time, we're going to be talking about something a little different for us, the importance of biotech research in making our world a more sustainable and better place to live. Trish, I dig this. I I like zagging a little bit from the normal, you know, let's talk about employee engagement. You know, we've done a hundred times. So this is going to be really, really fun. It is. Trish, before we get to the show, because we know our guest, he's coming back to the show for the second time. And I know that he grew up on a farm, Trish. So my question for you today, Trish, if you could become a farmer, what would you grow and why? I would grow potatoes. I don't know why that just popped in my head, but I love potatoes. There is nothing you cannot do with a potato. I feel like I could just, I don't know, be really successful. I feel like I could be a good farmer too. I wouldn't say that before maybe this age, but I feel like I could do it. I think I could go on YouTube with some pointers, maybe get some pointers from our guests. No, I'm sure it's that simple. Yeah. You can watch a couple of YouTube videos and, and become a farmer, I, I think, but okay. I think that about everything though. I really feel like at this age, you know, I'm 51. I feel like I could like totally go get a whole new career in something by just watching YouTube. All right. I dig it. Working okay. it so I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I should probably try and like grow them in my yard first. You start small. Start, small. start with some herbs in the windowsill, maybe. Well, I'm good go, at herbs. Go up from there. I can do that. Okay. I can grow the, yeah. What about you? What would you grow? I, I or think. Well, you don't even have to grow something. You could be like a pig farmer or. I could. I wasn't. Like I was a cattle ranch. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of work. I would. Um, <laughs> I feel like I would want an orchard of some kind because I like the way that sounds. So I think I would go apples probably. Is that a farm? I feel like an orchard is not a farm. I think you're growing things out of the land for consumption. You harvest them. You harvest apples, just like you harvest corn or I wheat. Guess. I think so. Okay. I'm calling it a farm. All right. I go for apples. We're going to ask our guest because he's actually- Well, he has, he has experience. We'll find out. tell us whether that's a farm or we'll not. We'll find out what, like what he had at his farm uh, in his youth and maybe still today. So our guest returning to the show, triumphantly. Triumphantly returning. Triumphantly returning to the show is Johnny Copper. You might have remember him from the show we did around schools and education and kind of educators uh, and, and parents' adaptation to the pandemic and just kind of navigating everything that was happening in schools, which is a really fascinating conversation, but he has a whole another full-time life outside his, his role as a school board he member. Does. Johnny Coppert is the executive director of the National Corn to Ethanol Research Center. And Johnny, as I said, was born and raised on a grain and livestock farm. Okay, it says right there, grain and livestock. Answer my question. Near Pinckneyville, Illinois, he's degreed in agriculture economics and agriculture policy, and his focus at the National Corn to Ethanol Research Center is focused on the commercialization of products and technologies in the biotech industry. Johnny, welcome back to the show. How are you? Thank you, Steve and Trish. It's great to, great to be here. Part two. We didn't really scare you right. away on part one. So <laughs> awesome. So so the, the farm Johnny grew up on says grain and livestock. What, what, what kind of livestock? Well, well, first of all, let's let's get one thing out of the way right off the bat. And uh, and orchard is a farm. Okay, thank you. Yeah, it's, right. it's, it's absolutely right. I mean, you're, you're, you're harvesting a fruit, just yeah. as you said, Steve, and you're, and you're selling it. You just have to have a tractor? No, you, you're, you're cultivating. <laughs> no, but I cultivate in my backyard, and I, actually, I don't think that's a farm, is it? There's a level of scale, though, Trish, we're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. USDA, U.S. Department of Agriculture, defines a, a farm in terms of 
dollars of products sold. So, so the truth of the matter is, Trish, depending on what you grew in the in the backyard, depending on what you grew back there, you, you might it's, be labeled a farmer. It's a lot of mint I, and a lot of blackberries. I think you'd make a good farmer. And tomatoes. I'm good at tomatoes too. So yeah. So there you go. Okay. All you, right. You've got the basics down. Should I put it on my LinkedIn? Maybe I should put that on my LinkedIn profile. Farmer and training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fit for short. Farmer Ooh, and training. I love it. Okay. Good there deal. We go. Good deal. Now we know. So, Johnny, welcome yes, back. Of thank course. you. So, tell us about the National Corn to Ethanol Research Center. I must confess to not have ever hearing of this before about 10 minutes ago. Okay. So, and I imagine a lot of the folks listening to the show are not familiar either. Right. So, maybe just give some background. On yeah. Yeah. So, it's National Corn to Ethanol Research Center. It's a mouthful. Therefore, we call ourselves NCERC, N C E R C for, for short. Um, but, but what are we? How are we created? Where are we located? So the National Crown Ethanol Research Center, we're a biotech nonprofit research center located in the beautiful 300-acre University Park owned by Southern Illinois University Edwardsville in Edwardsville, Illinois. We were created by United States Congress, something that a lot of folks don't realize. We were one of the original public-private partnerships, meaning United States Congress, they created us in the 1996 Farm Bill but they created us for utilization by the private sector. So what the heck does that mean at the end of the day? What it means is the taxpayer built us for utilization by the private sector. And today that is our primary focus, working with companies in the private sector from startup companies, you know, two guys from the Bay Area and California that are startups all the way to multinational global Fortune 50 companies. We work with them in the commercialization of their products and technologies. And how did you get into this? I mean, obviously, I you grew up on a farm. Could you give us maybe just a brief little summary of how you got where you are? Because I think a lot of people who listen to the show are, are people who are recruiters, who are hiring, who are maybe they have students themselves who are, you know, high school or college age trying to figure out what to do in this world. And that was one of the reasons we wanted to have you on just to give people exposure to this other whole industry and career path. So how did you yeah, maybe so, land where you landed? So how did I end up there? Well, as Steve said in my intro, my bachelor's degree is in agriculture economics. My master's degree is in agriculture policy. I had about five minutes where I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, mm -hmm. And then I got kicked in the head by a mule and that desire to be a lawyer <laughs> quickly went away. Um, so I stayed in, in things primarily related to, to agriculture policy. I spent a couple of years with a national nonprofit trade association. It was an agricultural commodity trade association. And what we did at that commodity association was, was worked primarily, almost exclusively with farmers in the United States that, that raise corn, that, that produce corn. Um, ironically, the, the common theme here, the, the foundation that connects the two is I work for a trade association focused on corn. And then there was this nonprofit research center established that happened to have corn in its title. Since the research center was created by Congress, the executive director position was not one by which you applied for, right? It's not a job that showed up on Indeed or okay. Monster.com. You had to go through a formal nomination process. Um, without me even knowing, I was nominated for the position, went through a very extensive interview process. And Monday, October 16th of 2006, I became executive director of this nonprofit research center. That's how it happened. Wow. <laughs> so, so serious question here is, is your favorite song, Corn, 
by Blake Shelton. Is that like, because <laughs> I feel like I've seen you post a lot about corn, yeah, you're passionate I, about corn. I post, I post a lot so about. It's a song played a lot in my household, so. Yeah, no, it's, 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 <laughs> I don't, I don't think that it is um, my, my, my favorite song. And, and it's probably because Blake Shelton, I, I just can't get over him and Gwen Stefani being together. I'm not, really? yeah, not don't, 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 no, okay. not, not. So not, we need a, a new fan. porn kind of yeah. game for you. She's too good looking for him and and, and and his hygiene doesn't appear to be great at times. So yeah. That's yeah. True. So that's I can't true. I can't like the song. That's probably true. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not sure where to go after that. Um you know, there's a heck of a lot of corn. I know that right. much, right? Yes. It, you know, I don't know this, and I apologize, Johnny, if I'm putting you on the spot. You know, is corn the number one farmed uh, product uh, crop in the United States? It's it is the number one agricultural commodity okay. in the in the United States, and and in terms of the state of Illinois, where we're geographically located, Illinois is the number two corn producing wow. state in the United States, right behind. Um, Right, right behind Iowa. And, and, and Steve, it's interesting that you that you ask about corn, because one of the reasons that this national center that was established to focused in the beginning on the conversion of corn into ethanol, ethanol, which is a fuel additive. One of the reasons that this was created was we have this increasing, increasing, increasing supply of corn being produced in the United States on fewer and fewer and fewer acres. Mm -hmm. Well, what are we going to do with all of it? And ethanol turned out to be an incredibly good outlet for all these increasing supplies of, um, of corn. It's just an incredible product. Corn is well over 600 different products that we utilize as, as consumers in our day-to-day -day lives is made from corn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What is the status today? I mean, I know that, you know, farming has gone through the decades through many kind of iterations and um, and struggles, but where, like right now, is is the corn uh, farming industry, is that something that's thriving? Is that something where we're really trying to get younger people to continue the kind of the, you know, decades and, and maybe centuries long practice of growing corn? Right. Or where, you know. So we'll go we'll go in reverse order on those. First of all, um, you know, farming in general. I mean, I'm I'm 54 now. I, I cannot wrap my hands around the fact that I have a five in front of my age, especially when I feel truly feel like there's still a three in in, in front of my age. Um, but but for those of us that are what I call products of the the 1980s, the overwhelming majority of us we didn't return to the farm. We saw what the agricultural uh, financial situation was like the economy the agriculture economy was like in the 1980s so the majority of us left and didn't go back so now there's this real age disparity there's this gap there's you know an aging farm community folks like my parents mm -hmm. who are 79 and 82 years old respectively so to get that next generation meaning a generation younger than me that left the farm how do we now get these younger folks Back on the back on the farm. I, I think it's why you know the on-farm population in the United States now represents half of one percent of our total population. Right? I mean, that is yeah. If you go back half of a person yeah. out of a hundred, you only have to go back a hundred and twenty years or so, and it, you're probably talking mm -hmm. about half, maybe. Right. I'd have to look. I'd have to look that up, and it's been a dramatic shift. Yeah in a relatively short period of time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I do. I do a lot of public speaking. And, and one of the areas that, that I do public speaking is in uh, schools, public schools, K through 12 schools. 
And my favorite question to ask in every class from kindergarten through 12th graders is, you know, how many, how many of you live on a farm? And, and, and depending on the community that you're in, more than likely there will be zero hands that, that go up. But then you ask the next question. How many of you have a parent or a grandparent? that was raised on a farm. Oh my goodness. Yes. Now, Steve, sure. to your point, yeah. all of a sudden hands start, start going up. Right. Yeah. It, it's relatively rapid, the shift between both uh, population and certainly employment, right? Because right. Uh, you know better than us, Johnny, like the, the technological advances that have impacted every industry across the board, certainly uh, impacted farming. Um, uh, whereas you, as you said, you can grow more and more corn or probably lots of other crops as well on, on smaller and smaller pieces of land due to technology, due to science, due to GP, understanding the soil better, right. understanding the weather conditions better, better predict better, maybe better, better fertilizers, better seeds, et cetera, et cetera. The productivity, I guess, I guess is my point, it's probably gone up quite, quite a bit sort of per acre. If that's yeah, the right yeah absolutely. And, and I know, for instance, whenever I do return, to the farm. I mean, if, if I climb into a combine cab or a tractor cab today, I, I don't even know how to turn the silly thing on, right? I mean, I, I feel like you have to have a degree in computer engineering just to just to know how to operate this, so this piece of equipment. I have a quick aside here, uh, Trish and Johnny. I was watching a uh, uh, friend of the show, uh, Trish Robin, Jason mm -hmm. Faison, yes. who we've, is we've, a, a future of work kind of expert. We've had him on the show a couple of times. He spoke at our HR tech conference a few months ago. Um, he was featured along with some other folks uh, on PBS, on a series on PBS, like the future of work series on PBS. And I was watching it because I wanted to see, you know, Robin, because he's uh, someone I know and is a really cool guy. And one of the segments on this future of work and the, the, the PBS, PBS series is about technological disruption, changing work. And there was a very long segment about farming. Mm -hmm. And there was a, a woman farmer, I, I don't know where, in the Midwest somewhere, getting into this huge John Deere combine, which she literally was not driving. She was sitting in it, mm -hmm. but the combine was driving itself, yeah. self-driving using GPS. And auto steer. Oh, yeah. Do everything. And she was just there. She's like, yeah, I don't, I just, like I'm just monitoring it, but I don't really do anything. And it was an incredible piece of machinery. And she was really just, just talking about how, if you want to be a successful farmer today, among many other things, you really need to understand how these things work. Yeah. Otherwise, you're you're not going to be able to keep up. Th that's yeah. right. Yeah, that's um, exactly. Maybe right. that'll be a draw, though. I wonder for this this younger generation coming up now. I mean, we just had Ian Schrader on the show, uh, you know, a little while ago, and his I think he said he's majoring in or intends to major in agricultural. He, he did say that, yeah. So, and it could be because we're from the Midwest and you know, that is maybe more likely that, that people are exposed to those sorts of things. How does that affect, you know, where you're working in terms of getting people involved and wanting to work in the corn and, you know, biotech, and biotech industry. industry in general? It, is that something that you're having to really do a lot of outreach? Trish, it's, it's, it's a really great subject matter to talk about. One of the things that we, at, you know, my research center have started doing um, extensively over the last six months to a year is kind of kind of dropping back a little bit. And, and actually getting into high schools mm -hmm. and into, you know, middle schools and, and junior highs and exposing them to this world that 99.5% of them have no exposure to whatsoever. And, and it's, it's amazing to watch these young folks, these kids just, just light up because they, they all love technology, right? Some of them, I mean, I look at my own daughter and sometimes I think that her, her, her cell phone or her, her iPad or whatever is just a fixed, it's like an appendage on her. So for these kids who that are just being raised on technology, 
but yet at the same time, really like the idea of working with their hands, maybe not even getting their hands dirty, but working with their hands. This new ag biotech space is the perfect, perfect outlet for them. And we're seeing that happen. Do you have any videos that you would point people to? Because I know I've been on YouTube. I know you've been interviewed many times. Is there any one or two, or maybe we could link it in the show notes that, because there were, I was really surprised when watching them, you know, maybe a year or so ago. And it was just like how high tech it is. And again, maybe, you know, that you're right going in at the junior high level, because I think if people meet someone who's passionate about their career, whatever the career is, right. It gives them someone to kind of look up to and be interested in. Is there, are there videos or are there other websites where you point younger people or people maybe looking for that career change? Right. So I I think, I think in my self-absorbed vested interest, the first website I would I would point to is 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 mine right, right, <laughs> at work, ethanolresearch.com. Cause because on there we've got we've got a number of of videos, you know, primarily focused on, you know, fermentation and things like this. Well, what the heck is fermentation? Well, fermentation is taking an agricultural product. It might be corn. It might be an apple, Steve. Mm-hmm. It, it might be your potatoes that mm-hmm. you're raising as a potato farmer, Tricia. And, and, and how over a 48 to 72 hour time period, how that thing that starts as a kernel of corn, an apple off of a tree or a potato out of the ground, how it goes through this biological process that then is converted maybe into a fuel mm-hmm. that we utilize in our car. Maybe it is converted into something like a, a polymer. What the heck is a polymer? A polymer is a direct one-to-one replacement for a petroleum-based plastic, right? These are things that are ending up in uh, being the, the liners and diapers that we're utilizing on our on our infants and toddlers. They're the things that we're going to be drinking water out of in the, in the not-too-distant future. And again, when young folks, when they see this, when college-bound students see this, they're like, you know what? This, this is a field that I see myself in. And then when you complement that by what these new technologies are doing for the environment Mm -hmm. and creating a cleaner, greener world, not only for our generation, but for generations to come, this is where you really connect. That's an interesting uh, point, Johnny. I'm glad you brought it up because one of the things I wanted to ask you about is I imagine in this, um, I know it's a nonprofit, but I'll just use the word business loosely. In this business, you're also suspect to and, and could be impacted by disruption and technological change. Let's say for example, the um, the growing uh, uh, popularity of EVs, right? Correct. For cars yes. and trucks, right? So that maybe could impact the demand for ethanol or other or the fuels in general products. So at the nonprofit at, at NCERC, do you guys think about that in terms of okay, we're helping produce these things today and helping uh, companies learn how to uh, uh, produce these things, but that th- these things that we're producing, these innovations may not be in demand forever. So what's the next thing? Are you guys on yeah. the lookout Steve, for we, we two are, or three steps ahead? We, we are, d- depending on who my, my audience is, um, I'm required to, to inform folks that, that I'm a registered federal lobbyist. I'm registered, I file my quarterly uh, federal lobbying reports, so on and so forth. So, so I spent in a non-COVID year, I spend a fair amount of time in in, in Washington D.C. was was just in Washington D.C. because we stay in front of policymakers to talk about things like technology, Steve, and how you know policy, their policy decisions, the things that they're focused on in policy, how that impacts technologies. And and you bring up you bring up EVs. One of the things that the car and ethanol industry 
has itself positioned in. We have ourselves perfectly positioned to be the pathway of a low carbon, sustainable future. EVs aren't going to happen overnight. They're coming, mm -hmm. but they're not going to happen overnight. The infrastructure, the technology is not there. So let's utilize the technology that we have today, technologies that are proven to serve as the pathway for EVs and other technologies of the future. Yeah. Yeah, great. Uh, let's take a break here, Trish, and uh, thank our friends at Paychex. Uh, I think it's a, uh, they have been so good to us, and uh, I can't thank them enough for all the support. Uh, one of the things we wanted to mention, Trish, is that uh, financial capital has long been established as a key driver of business performance. But today, business leaders are increasingly recognizing the importance of their human capital in driving success. Download Paychex's latest guide to discover why breaking down the silos between HR and finance can result in better business strategy and growth, as well as 14 simple HR metrics your team should be tracking and why. To download the ebook, please visit payx.me slash FDM research. That's payx.me slash FDM research. Thanks to our friends at Paychex. Hope they're not buried under the snow in lovely Rochester, New York, where their headquarters check? is. I mean, you used to live in Rochester. No, I, I don't check anymore because I don't, don't live there. Anymore, no. Right? No, <laughs> I they're I, always, you know, by this time of year, at least two feet under. I right? don't hate check it. So uh, no, okay. I don't. I don't like, oh, it's snowing up there and it's not here. So uh, <laughs> no, great stuff. They, they've been so good to us. And thanks, uh, thanks for them. The question I had, Johnny, I thought about earlier sure. when you mentioned... Um, NCERC was uh, started in 1996 uh, as part of the Farm Bill. Now, I can't promise you I know anything that's in the Farm Bill other than establish this nonprofit, right. but I got to believe the Farm Bill was about support for farmers. Right. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so is this is 25 years later, right, or so. Uh, do you sense that, and you mentioned Washington and some of that, do you sense that uh, as a country, as a government, I don't know, I'm talking about political things at all, right, but just, right. just uh, are we, supporting our farmers writ large, which is your opinion, right? Are we supporting our farmers in the way that we, we should for what they do, the importance of, you know, basically feeding us, right? And feeding half the world probably. So there's there's a couple of things that that I think, you know, average Joe consumer, if you will, is, is just completely unaware of whenever it comes to things like the the the, the farm bill. Um, Steve, you know, your your reaction, your your response, the comment that you made you know, farm bill, that's that's related to farmers. Well, 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 yes, it is. But every single one of our nutrition programs that we have, food assistance programs, these are all part of the, the farm bill. One of the challenges that we've seen over time is that with fewer, fewer and fewer folks coming from rural America, with only half of 1% of America's population mm -hmm. now being on the farm, we now have fewer and fewer representatives in, in Congress that either have a rural background or a farm background at all. So those of us that have spent decades in this industry, one of the areas that we feel is, is, is our key responsibility is to educate, motivate, and inform our policymakers on agriculture and what's important in something like a farm bill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because to me, it's a matter of uh, national security, right? Like, sure. If we don't make, I don't know, um, televisions anymore in the United States, if we, if there's none of them made here anymore. Zero. Okay, that kind of stinks. And okay, we'll get our TVs somewhere else. But you can't, if we don't have enough farmers, you know, growing the food, that, that, like, you can't just say, oh, we'll just get it from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. It's not that simple, right? And so I think it's different. Yeah, I if a country, I mean, if you, when you look at a lot of developing nations, but especially third world countries, one of the major major challenges is is food, and 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 food supply. I do think at times 
we take it for granted, right? We walk into the grocery store and there's you know, there's food there on a shelf. There's something that, right. that that we can buy. Not every country around the world has that privilege that we have here. And that's something that I think we have to remain conscientious of. Oh yeah. When you see, uh, when you read any of those articles, like, you know, I'm an Australian and I came to America, what surprised me the most or whatever country they came from, they almost always invariably have an item out. You go to the grocery store and there's an, an incredible array of, mm-hmm. of foods oh, and products. Like right? it, it, it's, it's overwhelming, right. It Compared to almost anywhere else in the world. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. I'd be okay if there were fewer options. I think sometimes it's, it's a little too much. Yeah. Yeah. We could talk about that. So, uh, I, uh, Johnny, last thing for me, right? We're this is the HR happy hour. We talk about workplace and talent. And lately we've been talking a lot about the labor market and, and, and it's hard to find talent. I know we talked about this a little Absolutely. bit today, but would you say in general, biotech, your, your place, places in general, can you find the people you need either <laughs> like today and even cultivate the people, if you will, to use a farming analogy, cultivate the people you'll need going forward? Are you, are you concerned as the executive director or is it something, well, you know, we think about it, but it's not yeah. killing me. It's, right it's my single biggest challenge right now. Oh, well. And the 32 years since I graduated from colleges and under, undergrad, I've, I've never seen the hiring challenges like I'm seeing right now. And the 15 years that I've been the executive director of this research center, I've never seen the hiring challenges that I've experienced over the last year to, to 18 months. Um, I've turned away, turned away millions of dollars of contractual research in wow. 2021, just from the challenge in finding a qualified and, and competent uh, workforce. Um, this is something that we're taking extremely serious, not just for the near term, but for the but for the longer term. Again, I go back to this is why we're going some non-traditional routes not just showing up at colleges and career fairs, not just relying on headhunters and staffing agencies, but we're getting into K through 12 schools. We're introducing them to this industry, to these technologies, you know, from seventh grade up at this point, because it's a challenge that I unfortunately don't see going away in the very near future. What are some of the degrees you need to have, or if not a degree, what are some of the skill sets that are that you're looking for? And my second part of the question is, are there people out there maybe with who are already in the work world, who've never worked in this industry before, but that would be sort of an ideal crossover candidate. Yeah, so skill set. Thanks for asking about the skill set. My my HR folks would be like, there goes Johnny again. (laughs) I do have a huge bias towards folks that are either raised in rural areas. That doesn't mean they have to come from a farm, but you know, rural areas, smaller towns. And why is that? Here's the reason why. If if you give me a 20 year old that was raised in a rural community, um, a, a smaller town, those folks, they, they, they tend to just have these just natural born in hard work ethics, mm. willing to listen, willing to learn. Um, I think like we not, need to give you a big city 20 year old to come and like, <laughs> yeah, with I, you, I, I, I do need a couple of big city 20 year olds yeah, to come and do. come and intern with me. Um, but yeah, so the, the, the thing Maybe about it send is, you down there, Trish, and you can, you she's going to be farming. Yeah. You know that I can grow some food. Yeah, so she's going to be raising potatoes and bringing them, and we're going to ferment them, and we're going to turn those suckers into vodka, and then oh we'll have an after, God. you know, an after work uh, little now taste testing, right? Um, but, but no, so what are the things that I look for? I can tell you one of the last things that I ever, ever look at 
on a candidate, GPA. Nice. Kind of don't care. Kind of don't care about, about GPA. And I've hired hundreds and hundreds of folks. I'm looking at the person. What did you do while you're in college besides sit in a class, right? And accomplish a, you know, a 3.5 or 3.8 GPA. What were the extracurricular things that you were involved in? You know, one of the things in, in my, my, my life away from executive director, you know, being involved in education as, as a school board member. Sometimes folks like to beat me up because they're like, Johnny, you care more about athletics than you do academics. Mm-hmm. I say, not true. What I care about is extracurricular activities. I do care about those mm-hmm. as, as much as I do academics. Why? For some students, for some young people, for some adults, that's where they excel. That's what develops them as a total person. And at the end of the day, that's what I'm hiring as an individual, a well-rounded person. Yeah, that ties into our interview we did with Ian Schrader and Tony Irovic a couple of weeks ago, where they were talking about sometimes they feel like the classroom, not all the, all the time, but sometimes they feel like they're just being taught something to take a test, whereas they felt like they were getting more value sometimes from the teams they were part mm-hmm. of or the clubs they were part of, whether that was you know, where they say National Honor Society or Student Council or a sports team, because they felt like they were figuring out how to well, get even along the fact with that these better. two guys, Tony and Ian, just decided to create their own podcast. Right. Just because they felt there was right, a need, right? And, 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 and starting to get popular. Yeah. And, and it, they're just, it's creative. It's initiative. Right. It's, uh, they're going out there selling sponsorships, which they're donating to charity, which right. they made but clear to us, but they're going door to door around local businesses yeah. and getting sponsorships, yeah. which they're converting into a charitable donation which is that's a really cool set of behaviors so i don't really care what their gpa is they're smart kids both these guys but like if you learn that about a person right i totally agree with you johnny you're like that's the kind of person i think could be successful in in a lot of things right Right. we we spend as an employer we spend probably as much time on um soft skills as we do as we do those hard skills How, how do you how do you deal with others how do you deal with conflict how do you deal with that coworker that frankly you maybe don't like very much yeah. right that maybe you have a personality conflict with and, and that's why again i'm such a firm believer in the well-rounded individual patricia you, you asked about degrees right so heavily stem okay. now as part of my employees or, or, or workforce i have folks with degrees that range from accounting to wastewater management and kind of every degree in between. Absolutely. My, my director of business development, client relations, her bachelor's degree is in public, public relations. And she has an, she has an MBA, right? I have folks with degrees in environmental science, but again, at the end of the day, when your resume comes across my desk, I'm going to be looking at, at that degree, but you know what? I don't look at that first. I don't, I look at the experience first. What are the extracurricular activities that you did? Did you do an internship? Did you volunteer in your community do, or do other types of volunteer work? It's why I'm also a tremendous advocate for vocational schools, community colleges. Community colleges do an incredible job of teaching and training. Mm-hmm. Some of our four-year universities get so entrenched in educating, right? Because a bachelor's degree, that's a pathway to a master's degree. A master's degree is a pathway to a PhD. Well, not everybody's going to get a master's degree or a PhD. So I look at the whole individual whenever I interview a candidate. Yeah, good Good stuff. 
Last thing for me, Johnny, and this is maybe just, and maybe give me a fun one if you can think of one. Uh, we didn't really get into this too much in the notes, but in the notes, it, it mentions that you've been a part of the commercialization of over 80 technologies, generating billions of revenues. I'm sure. What's one thing, one commercial thing, besides like say the corn ethanol thing we talked about, that's come out of NCERC, maybe we wouldn't know. That's kind of interesting and cool. Um, cosmetic products for human utilization. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay. So right. there could be corn in could my be, lip gloss? Could be, could be corn. It could be um, imported Brazilian sugar cane oh, that would go in through a ferment. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Right. Put it on your face. It makes it nice and smooth. I could use the help from any source. That's exactly right. Go. Yeah. And then whenever you get, you know, done with the product, the container that it's in, you can it can safely go to a, a landfill and send it since it's 100% biodegradable mother love nature it. is going to break it down perfect Good i love stuff. it trish get some of that stuff get i'm it. going to i'm gonna search that all out. right this is great stuff johnny thanks so much for coming back to join us Thank you. Uh, ethanolresearch.com you mentioned is there anywhere else that folks can go to learn more about about the organization and what you guys are up to ethanolresearch.com you can find us on our website you can find us on twitter at biofuels research you can find us on instagram you can find us on linkedin you can find us on facebook all right you're covering it up we're pretty is, we're no, pretty easy to find, find them. All right. <laughs> you'll find us well and i think also too i mean we've talked um, a lot in the last couple of months about the great resignation and people are just sort of tired maybe of where they've been working these are opportunities that you might not be thinking about. It sounds like you're looking for all sorts of degrees. Yeah, come live in a um, rural Illinois. It's God's country out here. That's, that's what I've heard. Right. It is. Go. God's country. <laughs> Another Blake Shelton song. See how it all circles back to Blake Shelton somehow? I didn't know that. Very strange. Okay. <laughs> good stuff. This has been really fun. Johnny Copper, thanks for coming back to the Thank show. You. Really appreciate it. Trish McFarland, good stuff. Good stuff. Good to see you again. Thanks to our friends at Paychecks, of course. Check them out at paychecks.com. All right, I think I'm tired. My name's Steve Bose. Thank you for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show. We will see you next time, and bye for now.